is the only bank devoted exclusively to entrepreneurs, and we're committed to the success of women entrepreneurs and majority women-owned companies across Canada. As a proud partner of the Thrive Podcast, we're here to help you start, grow, or scale your business. Find out more at bdc.ca forward slash women today. Scotiabank is proud to co-present the Thrive Podcast for Women Entrepreneurs. Through the Scotiabank Women Initiative, Scotiabank aims to help advance women-led businesses with access to capital, education, and mentorship. To learn more, visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com. Your insurance needs are as unique as the work you do and the industry you're in. Having the right protection in place is just the start. There's so much you can do to mitigate risks to your business for today and as you grow. At Sovereign Insurance, we're here to help with valuable information, insights, tips, and tools to help you protect your operations. Visit SovereignInsurance.ca to learn more. Diversify. Don't just put all your eggs in one export market. Think about what other export markets you could do well at, and EDC will help you figure that out. With Export Development Canada, doing business abroad doesn't need to be risky. We take on the risks so you can think bigger and grow confidently. EDC, take on the world. Listening to the Thrive Podcast on the Startup Canada Podcast Network, where we help women entrepreneurs to start and build thriving businesses. On the Thrive Podcast, we connect you with leading experts, entrepreneurs, and organizations that provide capital, mentorship, training, tools, and other support to help you make your vision a reality faster. This podcast is a production of Startup Canada, Canada's entrepreneurship organization, and is presented in partnership with the Business Development Bank of Canada and Scotiabank. I'm your host, Kayla Isabel, Managing Director at Startup Canada. Welcome to the show. We are thrilled to have Estelle Doiron, the founder and CEO of Coffee Beauty, on the show today. Estelle is the founder of Coffee Beauty, a skincare company using coffee as the main ingredient in their product lines. Estelle has a diverse personal and professional background, heading up her local Rotary chapter. She's an award-winning sales advisor, an accredited fitness trainer, a finance and bank manager, and a facilitator for her local college's sales and marketing programs. Her reputation and skills are second to none, and anyone who meets with, works with, or is trained by Estelle never forgets the experience. Welcome to the show, Estelle. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, it's great to have you. So before we start to dive into our conversation today, what's one thing that you want um, our community of women entrepreneurs to take out of our conversation today? Uh, I guess from everything that we'll be talking about today, it, the one thing I love people to remember is not to let labels or your own fears take over yourself. I see so many entrepreneurs or people in general that they believe in labels that they've been given or that they gave themselves like, I'm too young, I'm too old, I'm not good at sales, or I'm not creative, or I'm not good with a computer. I find the exciting part is learning through the journeys, even if it's personal or mm -hmm. business or entrepreneurs, that's kind of the, the one message I'd like them to Keep in mind while we go through this. Fantastic. So tell us about Coffee Beauty. How did this business idea start? And it, so formerly Coffee Organics um, began. How did you come up with this business idea and launch it? It started in 2016 and I was on my way to go to Florida for the first time. And my entire life I've had extremely dry skin and I have this, I want to call it a condition. It's called keratosis pilaris, but the cute name for it is chicken skin. Uh, 
every all it is is little red bumps behind, usually found behind your arms and legs. Uh, one third of Canadians have it. It's pretty popular. It's nothing serious. It's just extreme dry skin. I've tried everything from prescription creams, cortisol creams, steroid creams, other scrubs, other lotions, and nothing ever worked on them. I can remember when I was in fifth grade, I asked my teachers, like, what are these red bumps on my arms? And she was like, you'll grow out of it. Well, in 2016, I was 28, and I definitely did not grow out of them. <laughs> um, so I read that a coffee scrub would actually work. So I went to my local stores, my local pharmacies, my local natural stores to find a coffee scrub, and I could not find anything in 2016. Uh, then I looked online, and I could not find any coffee scrub made or sold in Canada. So I would have had to wait two weeks to get one from another country or from far away. And pay the lovely shipping so fees. I made, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I made my own. And in no way am I a maker. So it was a DIY recipe. And after two weeks, my bumps were gone. So in people that know me, I like to chat a lot. So I told all my friends and they wanted to try it too. So I made some more and they tried it. They loved it. It worked on their acne, on their eczema, on their stretch marks, on some old scars and on chicken skin, of course. Uh, and that's where, that's where coffee was born. Wow. Incredible. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i a huge fan of coffee in all the formats that I've ever been exposed to it. And so explain sort of the benefits of coffee as being your main ingredient. Um, what are the, the purity factors or what is it about coffee that makes it such a healing um, uh, sort of base? So coffee is full of antioxidants and it boosts collagen. Uh, but the main thing for me on the back of my arms and legs is that coffee constricts blood vessels. So it reduces the redness. So anything like I had red bumps. The So in our product, the coffee is grounded to a very fine powder. And the exfoliant is actually sugar. And then there's five natural and organic oils that soothe and reju rejuvenates the skin. But um, so once the dead skin is exfoliated with the sugar, the coffee takes away all the redness and boosts the collagen. So that's where the coffee is the magic. So even anything like rosacea, um, acne, it would take away the toxins and then reduce the redness with the coffee. So it heals faster. Okay. So this, the inception of your entrepreneurial journey was uh, identifying a problem that you personally had and then finding a solution to fix it. How have you found uh, this journey to be for yourself? Did you always see yourself as an entrepreneur? Um, how did that go for you? Since a very young age, I wanted to be in sales, uh, but I always saw sales as extreme customer service done right. So I just wanted to help people. Mm. Uh, I've had a long career in sales and then I went to banking. And then when I came across this, I was like, if I can sell something that is my own and help so many people like this has helped myself, it would have been like the dream come true. Then it was to work hard enough to make it. Mm -hmm. And so what challenges did you come across the way sort of in terms of your financing, finding investments? Um, what was uh, the biggest challenge that you were experiencing getting this business off the ground? The biggest challenge personally was going from the full-time job with the benefits and the pension to my own business. That was like jumping off a cliff. Mm -hmm. a big leap. <laughs> um, yeah. I was, I was, um, how would I say it? Uh, someone chose me to be in an accelerator program. Mm -hmm. You were chosen. Uh, lucky enough, I guess. Maybe lucky is the word I was looking for. Um, but I was accepted in an accelerator program for three months. Uh, the Summer Institute in Fredericton put on by UNB. And that really helped bridge the gap between me leaving my full-time job and understanding everything that goes into a business. They really teach you everything in three months from budgeting to expansion to lawyers and incorporating it, all the little things that 
I would have probably taken a year and a half extra to learn. Uh, the other thing I find, because I do mentor a lot of smaller businesses now, and I find the culture today, it's like, oh, you need to make a million dollars to be a successful entrepreneur. Uh, coffee from day one was just a tiny bit of my savings and every profit was put back into the company. So we've never taken outside investments or anything like that. And for me, that was okay. Some people have different companies with different goals and they find bigger investment. They start with $3 million. Uh, I'm okay with how we started and the progress we've made. And now in year three, it's just incredible. Yeah. Yeah. To see that growth with just your own personal savings, like that's a pretty powerful, uh, <laughs> powerful path. Yeah. <laughs> but I've been okay with that since day one. And I find some people, they think they have to make 10 million to be, but if they're okay with making a hundred thousand, 200,000, 300, or just even to eventually after years and years and years get to the bigger goals, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. People quantify success in, in a number of different ways. And I think that is important, especially in the entrepreneurship kind of industry, um, that we make sure that people understand that they have options that you don't need to be building, you know, hundred million dollar businesses overnight. You can also be scaling to something that fits what you want in your life. Um, so showcasing exactly. all of the different types of businesses, um, and, and providing education and understanding about how to get to whatever milestone you want to get to that being the bigger exercise. Exactly. Cool. So what advice would you have for people trying to start their own businesses? What experience do you wish you had uh, or what advice do you wish you had when you were first starting out? Uh, when I was first starting out, again, I you have to do everything when you're first starting out. Uh, and the best advice that I have gotten is to hire the really key parts, being lawyers, accountants and bookkeeper on my part. I used to try to do all of this, but then I was doing things that I'm not the best at. My background is sales and I'm my time is way better spent getting more sales and paying for the experts in my business. Great. And and when somebody is not entirely sure what their skill sets are quite yet, so you've had a fantastic base in sales and that confidence coming behind it, uh, but not everybody might be able to anchor, um, you know, that they want to invest all of their time in a specific um, uh area of their business? What would be your recommendation to find what you're really good at and what would be most beneficial to um, hiring somebody else to do? I guess at the start, I would say you really have to put yourself in all of the positions to understand what your company needs. So as much as I love doing sales and if I could only do that all day, every day, I also had to learn social media. But before I can hire someone to do my social media, I needed to understand exactly what I was hiring. So to expectations, to how much time it actually takes to make content. Some people think it takes 10 minutes to get stories on Instagram, but sometimes it takes two hours to have it branded and the way you want it to look and just so that it really exudes the brand and what you want to portray out there. Same thing with sales. If you just hire someone that says they know sales, but they don't really, if you know how long it usually takes to make sales, what are ex like norm, not normal, but acceptable budgets, acceptable numbers, amounts of sales. And honestly, to help any salesperson, they need to know exactly what they can sell and have the tools to be able to sell with. Mm, that's great. Great advice. And what do you think is your secret sauce to being um, a great saleswoman? I just love helping people, talking to people, understanding. Mm. And one thing that I've learned at a very young age is no does not mean like no means nothing. 
I'm not afraid to get a no. And when I, in this context, yeah, yes. exactly. exactly. <laughs> but if someone says no, it's to understand why it's either not the right timing, not mm. the right price, not the right product. Maybe it's not the right person. Maybe they have an issue with me, but it's really to not be scared to ask those questions. So if someone doesn't want to stock coffee in their store, I usually ask them what is what is the issue and try to fix that and make that better for all my next prospects. Yeah, using the no is kind of like a challenge function. Like, okay, I see where you're coming from, but uh, give me more information so that I can come at you from a different angle. And maybe that's how uh, we can find some common ground. Most of the time, the stores love it because I've had some stores, they say it's really not the right time for us right now. Mm. And I ask them, is it okay if I can follow up in six months? And they they love it. They're like, we would love for you to follow up. It's not, it doesn't mean I'm never going to contact them again. Mm -hmm. If it's the time, I'm just going to contact them in six months or in a year or, and just keep that relationship open and to know that you're willing to work with them. Yeah, I love that. Um, And and it's sort of pivoting in real time that you you can't just uh, expect that a blanket approach will work across the board. People are going to have different variables that are shifting at different times or because of particular restrictions. So uh, it's being kind of agile and responsive to your customer needs through the sales process too. Exactly. And every customer is going to be different and you have to be okay to kind of chameleon and understand Mm -hmm. different stores have different issues and different problems and some are bigger, some are smaller. Yeah. Interesting. So as you look to uh, 2020 and beyond, what's your plan for growing coffee um, or sort of maintaining for the next little while? What are your big plans for the next couple of years? So for us, it's really going national and then North America and then around the world. Uh, But when I say this, it's we're growing at a pace that we can handle. So two years ago, I hired a manufacturing company in Moncton. So now I have the like the capacity to actually fulfill this. So some people see, some people think this happens overnight, but um, we just, we're landing distributors across the country, but that wouldn't be any value to us if we couldn't keep up with production. But we needed to get there. So after three years, now we're actually able to keep up with production and order in more inventory, more jars, more boxes, all the stuff that we make everything in Mountain, but we need to be able to keep up with the demand if we're going to look for that demand. Completely. And so when you think of um, the beginning of this business and sort of the inception uh, coming from the the main idea, um, what do you think was the scariest or hardest part? You sort of mentioned, um, you know, leaving your regular nine to five and pension and all of that security and jumping into an entrepreneurial venture being uh, a little overwhelming. But what do you think is the scariest part um, of the journey that, um, that you are now on the other end or other side of? Uh, learning the different types of distribution and retail methods available. Mm. Not all of them are bad or right for every company, but it's deciding which one you want to be in and then understanding and fault. Like for us to be in mass retail, it's a completely different market than natural store markets where you need barcodes, you need like everything inputted into the system that if they scan your product, if you have anything that is not compliant, you get fines, you can get stuff like that. And for a small company, that could make it or break it. Or getting a, a PO for something that you can't live up to. That's all the things that now as we grow, we want to grow bigger, faster, but we also have to be wary of how we can grow like this. So learning all of that was definitely a different mindset that I had to put myself in. And 
sometimes I find so many people have advice to give you, but they've never been in your situation. So listening to myself and not everyone else all the time. Mm, how, so I'd love to explore that a little bit more. So how do you navigate getting external advice of value? Or, or if somebody maybe has not been exactly in your shoes, there are obviously things that they might be able to provide from an advice perspective. How do you navigate your sort of internal self-talk and what you hear from other people um, who might be in a similar but sort of um, parallel circumstance? I like meeting with the store owners just because uh, I need to understand their industry so that I can better serve them and make it easier for them to carry my product and to love carrying my product and to build that relationship. Uh, but it's not it's not easy to that's how I feel and that's how I run my business. So I had to listen to myself and my gut to say that this is how I want to run it. Uh, some other people would say you don't need to understand what their business is because it's not yours. But that's not how I see it. I want everyone to be happy and understand how everything works so that I can be happy in making my decisions on do I get them counter displays? Do I get them more literature? Do they need counter displays? Some stores don't even want counter displays. So some people tell me, Estelle, you need counter displays to put your product on so that people can advertise it better. But some stores don't even want that. Some stores do. So as I'm making decisions, before I order a thousand counter displays, that's going to cost me $15,000. I want to know if they actually want these, how they want them, how big they want them and that kind of stuff. So to me, that's my gut feeling. And I like listening and going with what I think. I, I like questioning things. So that's been a really good on my part to just question everything before spending a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah, do your due diligence. I think that's a really helpful approach to have and making sure yeah. you're going to get a return on investment because uh, the stakes are high. Exactly. And even though maybe I want a counter display, if 99% of my stores don't mm. want counter displays, then it's kind of <laughs> waste of money. Yeah, yeah. You have to listen to that information for sure. And that can be challenging because it's sort of going against your um, instinct or your preference, but uh, kind of rolling with, with what you know the the audience that you're serving is going to need. Exactly. Interesting. So in the, the cosmetic industry and specifically in your region, um, have you found it challenging to find mentors who are sort of working in the beauty space um, because they would be potential competitors who might be selling similar products? How has your journey been finding uh, appropriate mentorship? Uh, so finding appropriate mentorship was hard at the beginning. Uh, I, again, I was lucky with that summer institute and I do still have mentors from mm -hmm. there that I've worked with that it's more on a personal business level rather than actually in my industry. But sometimes they ask me questions to make sure I'm going in the right direction. Um, as far as my industry mentors, uh, one of my mentors actually owns the manufacturing company that we hired. Oh, great. Uh, and he has been one of the best things that has ever happened, even though he understands the industry and he is so happy to see coffee succeed in general over any competition. Mm. So he has helped me above and beyond anything, especially looking at bigger goals and bigger opportunities and understanding that there's 7 billion people in the world. So there's enough for everyone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I could see from like a product-based perspective, and especially with a niche um, cosmetic product, that you know you could potentially feel hesitation, or um, or and I assume it's it's a, a longer journey, and you're meeting a number of different people in the industry. But finding um, a community and finding mentorship and being able to talk honestly about the challenges that you're facing in this particular industry um, that that is super necessary, and you see it um, being essential in every entrepreneurial journey, but especially when you're starting out. 
um, finding that community and that safe space to talk through your challenges is so important. Yes. And the other thing I find is some people are scared to talk about what they want to do, but I, I try to say like, some people don't even want to tell me their business ideas, but they want my help. I'm like, I'm so busy with what I do that I don't have time to steal any, like no one wants to steal your idea. (laughs) People don't even want to tell me they want to start something. And I'm like, like if you don't have the trust to tell me and for me to help you. So when you're really honest with what you're doing and I know that if someone else starts a coffee body scrub company that I work so hard day in and day out that no one's going to outwork me. And my brand is completely different Mm. and completely myself that some people start coffee scrubs, they sell them in markets and stuff. It does not bother mm-hmm. me one bit. Mm-hmm. So you're saying, I, I want to pull on that thread a little bit, working day in, day out. How do you find um, this entrepreneurial journey in terms of managing your own time um, and taking time for yourself while you're building this this big business? Huh, time for myself. I've been told mm-hmm. I should do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a um, challenge though, right? It's a balance that you need to, you know, be taking care of yourself in these moments where, um, you know, the work is incredibly demanding. So what strategies strategies do you have in place um, to make sure that you do to keep time for yourself? Yeah, that is a very good question. So going back way back, I grew up on a farm. So hard work has always kind of been ingrained in my brain that it has to happen. Like no one goes to bed until the chickens are fed and the eggs are collected, right? Literally. Yeah, that sounds like a, <laughs> like a saying, but no, that's, that was your context. Cool. Uh, but that gave me when I, I sold cars for a number of years and we worked 60 to 80 hours every week. And it's always really been something that I've enjoyed doing because I make sure that I enjoy and I have fun in what I do before I do it. Uh, coffee brings me so much joy and I have fun with it. So I do work long hours because it is still a startup and I have multiple hats that I wear. Um, my fiance is also an entrepreneur. So we do understand that downtime is good time. We do exercise a lot. We do yoga, uh, and we do try to book a few trips here and there, but to say that we take full days off, we'll usually take a weekend and just for us relaxing is not having to be anywhere and be able to work on kind of growing the company, but in a personal way that you would never do on a normal weekly basis where, you're doing everything that you're, you have to do, but really we love what we do. So it's hard to disconnect because we have so mm-hmm. much fun doing it. But, yeah, uh, and it takes up so much of your passion. Like you, you clearly are in, incredibly invested from um, a special place in, in your soul. So you have to really love what you're doing. I see so many people lately starting a business just because this entrepreneurship has become a social trend that you have to start a business and they don't really love what they're doing. And they kind of want to they think they can, I don't know if they think they can get rich quick or they like only want to do it for six months or a year or two years. But if you're not invested in it and you don't love what you do every day, it's going to be a real hard journey and you're going to need a lot more me time, which doesn't really make sense in the whole scheme of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely a challenge. And, and you see the, the whole movement of the side hustle uh, being an incredible opportunity for people to have these passion projects and, and to develop their entrepreneurial sensibilities on the side, uh, but to invest yourself completely and wholeheartedly into your business, it needs to sort of tap into a different level of passion than um, something that uh, is sort of a flippant decision, maybe. Exactly. I kind of consider it like a relationship. Some people get in relationships, but they never really give it their 100%. So if it doesn't work, they kind of like, oh, well, you know, I didn't give it my 100%. So it's okay. 
But when you really put your whole heart into it and s someone doesn't love you back or it doesn't work, then you're really heartbroken. But business yeah. is kind of the same way. If you don't give it your 100% day in, day out and be vul vulnerable with your business, mm -hmm. you'll never see. That's how you really see the success and the push and all that flourish at the end. Mm. Yeah, you've got to give a lot of love to receive a lot of love <laughs> in both relationships. <laughs> cool. Uh, so if we can leave our listeners with one piece of tangible advice um, that they can implement in their businesses after today's conversation, what would that piece of advice be? If I could, if everyone would just sit, like take the little bit of time that it takes to write your goals down, write your goals down and then 10x them and make a plan. So that's one of my favorite things to do is to sit down. So say you want to make $10. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, you should tell yourself that you need to make, you need to raise $100. And what would you have to do to raise that $100? Your initial goal was $10. But what do you, how much effort and how many things and what are the things you need to do to get $100? And if you only reach 40% of that goal, you're still four times mm -hmm. better than your initial goal. Well, that sounds like something everybody can do right in this moment. <laughs> That's great. Ted exit. And that goes for your personal mm. life, your business, and mm. everything else. Yeah, it spans all of that. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, and maybe they can do that while wearing a coffee beauty uh, face scrub or <laughs> with some type of product at the exactly. same time. <laughs> do it in the Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Estelle, for uh, sort of sharing your entrepreneurial journey um, and, uh, and giving our listeners some really practical insights. Thank you for having me. Oh, great. Thanks, Estelle. Bye. Thank you for joining us this week on the Thrive Podcast, where we help women entrepreneurs to start and build thriving businesses. Thank you to the Startup Canada production team, BDC, and Scotiabank for helping us to power women entrepreneurs. Visit startupcan.ca forward slash women to download the playbook Resources for Women Entrepreneurs with a comprehensive list of support for you and your business. Visit startupcan.ca for the latest episodes of the Startup Canada podcast hosted by Matthew Curtis and plug in to the Startup Canada network. Until next time, I'm Kayla Isabel. It's time to thrive.